the reading from Luke's gospel today, um, we had the previous, or last week we had the reading just before this one, um, which set the stage for John the Baptist, um, and there was a little phrase in last week's reading, which I promised we would talk about today, um, and that's from Luke chapter 3, verse 3, um, where it says that John came proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is a bit of an odd phrase, I think. A baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Mainly, I think this is an odd phrase for us because when we hear the word baptism, we immediately think of, uh, we've got a font here, and we will... Uh, when we have a baptism, we'll maybe move it up on the stage and we'll have a, a, usually a, a baby, not all, um, and we sprinkle. So that's when we or pick the, uh, with John out in the River Jordan and we'll maybe in, knee deep in the water and scoop it in the water, dump it on their heads. Maybe we dunking some water, um, even this coming to get baptized by him. And so if we have those pictures and we have this phrase, a sentence for the forgiveness of sins, what does, that, what does that mean? We think of baptism as a, a washing away, maybe, dying to sin, drowning in the waters, and coming up to new life in Christ. I got warned by the Sunday school people that that happened during my sermon, if you hear drums right now. So that'll just be our background sound. So next, you got to come back next week. Um, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to hear that word baptism maybe just a little bit different, or maybe it might give it a little more meaning for you. And that is what you hear as the word immersion. Because that's actually more what it means, um, or it might mean to dip, um, to somebody in water. Um, we don't always get that so well with our imagery in the Presbyterian Church because we sprinkle and not immerse. Uh, but the word really does mean to immerse someone in. And uh, so if we think of that as this is an immersion of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and apply it not so much to the action that John was doing, but apply it to the actual lives of the people who are coming to listen to John. I want you to have your life immersed in repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He may, in fact, be talking about a new lifestyle, a new way of life. Have your life immersed in this. Later, he talks about how Jesus will come and he will, bring, uh, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Think of that, being immersed in the Holy Spirit, having a lifestyle that's where you're wrapped in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to think of it that way. But what about this phrase of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? I always thought forgiveness of sins is just given. Repentance is what we're supposed to do in response to experiencing or receiving that forgiveness. But that doesn't seem to be what the phrase says. It seems to say that it's repentance that, that gives you your forgiveness, that you need to change. First, we need to know what that repent means. It really, uh, the, the technical uh, word is a change or it might mean a life change. 
So is John saying in this proclamation that your life needs to be one where you change and you have gives you forgiveness? I'm not sure he's quite saying that. That does seem to be what the phrase means. I want you to imagine instead to look at what this phrase might be about. Is that uh, I can I can help you with this? We can we can act it out a little. We're gonna, okay. So I'm going to, um, and Carol's in the front row. So, <laughs> um, so you don't need to get. You don't need to move. did wrong. <laughs> that's, all, that's our entire role play, okay? <laughs> if someone comes and says, I forgive you, what needs to have happened earlier? You must have done something wrong, right? So the first thing you experience with someone saying, I forgive you, the first thing you experience is actually judgment. We don't like to think of that, but you do experience judgment in someone saying, I forgive you, because they are judging that you need my forgiveness, right? What if your response is, well, I haven't done anything wrong? Then all you do is you stay in judgment. That person still thinks you've done something wrong. I'm, I'm, I forgive you. So there is an offer of forgiveness, but you haven't received or experienced the forgiveness because your response is, I don't need it. I haven't done anything wrong. So you remain in judgment. But you could have experienced the forgiveness as grace. Carol had a good response. She said, thank you. You could have experienced the, the response as grace. Where someone comes and says, I forgive you, and, and you're convicted in your heart of yeah, you're right. I did something wrong. And you receive the forgiveness that's given. And what happens in that moment is you have a desire to change or you wished you hadn't done it, whatever it was. Something happens on the inside. That's I think what John is talking about with repentance, this change of mind or this change of being or a change of heart, we might say. But I want us to really be clear about this, that when forgiveness is granted or forgiveness is offered, it's judgment and grace. We, we tend to think that it's really just grace. And so we might read about John the Baptist and we'll think, well, thank goodness Jesus comes because John the Baptist has got all kinds of judgment for all kinds of people and says, you've all got to repent because Jesus is coming, watch out. But they're actually much closer to one another, John and Jesus. They're both kind of saying the same thing. John is maybe emphasizing much more the repentance side of things and emphasizing much more the judgment side of things but he's asking his followers to have this change of heart in order to experience the forgiveness that is offered. It's not that they have to change to uh, make the forgiveness happen. God is already granting that. God is already giving that. 
but you can only really receive it if you get that change on the inside. Receiving I forgive you as grace is an act of humility. Admitting I was wrong or I'm at fault. And we're not always great at those acts of humility. Our culture especially doesn't really uh, like the I forgive you uh, unilaterally, even from God. God keeps wanting to offer that, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And a lot of the time our culture wants to say, well, I, I, don't, I haven't really done anything wrong. I'm fine, thank you, I'm okay. And God is saying, no, 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 I forgive you. You're not okay, but I'm going to make you okay. And it's a pretty powerful thing that, that we as Christians maybe start to get at, but we need reminders about it. This repent is this inner change also has to have outer change. And this is where John talks about bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. And it's also kind of an odd phrase, but I think what, it, what John is trying to drive at is to say your inner change has to be matched outwardly. So the fruit is the outward. So bear fruit that actually is worthy of the inner change that you are claiming that you have. So if you're coming to be baptized by John, you're saying, I'm claiming that inner change. I'm, I'm repenting. And he's saying, but you also have to bear fruit that is worthy of that that reflects it. Um, and so our object lesson today is an apple. Um, so we have our fruit um, to remind us to bear fruit. Um, I also noticed in our Advent reading, I only noticed this when, I, when we were actually reading it out, um, but it also talked about fruit. You may not have noticed it, but the fruit of the Spirit are listed in our Advent reading today. It doesn't call them that. Um, but in kind of in the middle of the last phrase, it says, God's spirit makes us loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Isn't it great when God does things like that to uh, make our readings work together? Those are what are called the fruit of the spirit. And so if you want to know what these fruit are, there they are in your Advent reading today. What are we looking for if we're looking for this life of repentance? So this outer change needs to happen, or these outer uh, visible things need to be there in order for us to know that that inner change is really effective, that the repentance has really happened. It's not the outer things that are the repentance, mind you. It's the internal that's the repentance. So I started to think then, well, then how do we... How do we get at that? How do we get that fruit? How do we get that into our lives to be able to do those things more, to, to love better, to be more patient, to be more kind, all of those fruits of the Spirit? How do we get that? Um, and I noticed in our reading that the people kind of ask the same thing. They ask, after uh, John has, has preached his uh, short sermon, uh, asking them to repent and trying to scare them into it a little bit, um, the crowds say, well, what then should we do? They're asking the same question. Now, before we get to John's answer, I want to show you something, because this is what I thought. Well, if we've got an outward um, thing, and we need the, to find out what is the internal that fuels it, then what do we really need? Well, if we, So we'll cut the apple in half, and we'll find out. So I thought, well, 
maybe here's the important thing. So there's a little seed. So the fruit is outward and there's, there's our apple seed. And maybe something about what is inside. That it's not that we have to figure out how can I be more patient. That, that'll be the fruit that's produced. We need something else to figure out um, what is it that needs to be inside. And I kind of thought, well, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe what we really need is more of the Holy Spirit, more turning to, to Christ. And, and the more we do that, then these fruits will become evident. So maybe the inside of the apple, like the seed, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. And I think there's some truth to that. But in a lot of ways, we can't, con we can't control the Holy Spirit. Actually, we can't control the Holy Spirit at all. So what can we do? What can we do? We can turn to the Holy Spirit, yes, but in some ways that's an external thing. And even in growing fruit, when I, when I thought about this object lesson, I thought, well, when I cut the apple in half, it actually doesn't help us very much because it's not like we create seeds and we put them in there. What do we actually do to grow fruit? Like real fruit. We water it and, you know, we make, try to make sure that there's the right amount of sunlight and all that. We, we control external, we control external environment, right, in order to try to make things grow. And then lo and behold, what does John the Baptist tell people? What then we should, should we do? Does he say, well, you know, just accept Jesus in your heart, have more of God, be a spiritual person, and, and don't worry that the fruit will come. No, he doesn't say that at all. In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than the amount prescribed for you. Be fair, in other words. Soldiers came, what should we do? He said, don't extort money from anyone by false threats or accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. Be fair. If you have two coats, share with anyone who doesn't have any. If you have food, share that. And be fair in your workplace. Doesn't sound very spiritual, actually, does it? He gives them external things that are going to affect the internal. And the fruit will come. This reminded me of a quote that I heard one time. It's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Let me say that again. It's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. A lot of Christian teaching actually tries to tell us the opposite. If you receive Christ into your heart, if you pray enough and make sure your internal life is okay, then actions, good works will flow out of that. Well, that might be true, but the way to affect that internal is actually to act externally. It's to serve others, to care for those, to actually do real practical things, to engage in life. I tried to look up who uh, said this uh, quote, and uh, I got about 15 different people that it's attributed to. So here's the one I liked. Um, who, here's who I want it to be attributed to. Uh, I want it to be attributed to Millard Fuller. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was really him who said it first. 
Millard Fuller was the founder of Habitat for Humanity. Quite interesting, right? Easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. John the Baptist comes and says, change on the inside, repent on the inside. They say, how do we do it? And he gives them some practical things here. Do, do these things. Help other people. How do we cultivate that fruit? It's actually the external environment that we surround ourselves with. That external environment affects our internal environment. It's kind of a back and forth, right? Like as you're hearing me speak, you're probably thinking, well, isn't it really both? It really is both, isn't it? You act your way into a new way of thinking, and that new way of thinking affects then how you're going to act again. Back and forth, back and forth. It becomes more like a part of your lifestyle. It's as though you're immersed in this lifestyle of change, changed action, change on the inside, a new renewed way of living. That's what John's asking his followers to do. A baptism, an immersion of repentance, and you will experience forgiveness for everything that you've ever done wrong. No questions asked from God. The last thing I want to mention in this reading that John talks about is perhaps the most important thing. People are starting to think that John is maybe the Messiah. And John says, no, I'm not. There's one who's coming who is more powerful than I am. There's one who's coming, and he is, in fact, the source of forgiveness. He is the source of this renewed way of life. The one who's coming, Jesus, who is coming, in him is, is this perfect combination of grace and judgment. When you imagine yourself standing before Jesus... It can be a pretty powerful thing because he knows everything you've done, knows everything you've thought, knows everything you could have done but didn't do. And he simply says, I forgive you. You're welcome. So in doing that, what he does is he says, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff you did wrong. There's judgment in it. And at exactly the same time, he says, I've already taken care of it. There's a whole bunch of things you've done wrong. And I took care of it on the cross. You just receive the grace that I have to give. And for those of us who say, well, you know, Jesus, I didn't really do much wrong. I'm fine. The sad thing about that is we remain in judgment. And we've never received his grace. For those of us who say, thank you. We are so filled with the grace and the love that he has to give. So receive the grace of Christ. Receive the grace of Christ. When he says, I forgive you, receive it. 
receive it. Even if you can't even think of what it was that you may, may have done that's against him. He knows. God knows better than you do. So receive the grace that he gives. Thanks be to God. Amen.